the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. You perhaps have heard the word annihilation or the word reincarnation or maybe words like karma or words like nirvana, words like soul sleep, phrases like this. And you've certainly heard the concepts of heaven and hell. These have been topics perhaps of your consideration and perhaps at times topics of your conversations with other people. People are intrigued by death. They've always been intrigued by death. If you go back and study ancient civilizations, you'll see that the Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans and all the ancient civilizations, Eastern mysticism, all these various areas had their ideas and their focus when it came to dealing with death and dying and the afterlife. And as Christian believers, we too have a very important position from the Bible regarding what Scripture teaches regarding death and eternity, and it's extremely important for us to understand. And for us to understand what happens after this life, we have to explore one important question this weekend, and I'm going to lay a foundation for us tonight. will be a foundational message that really will help us as we move forward for the next several weeks. And the question is, what do you believe about God? Because what you believe about God has a lot of impact on what you believe about eternity, what you believe about afterlife. And you can't really address the question, what do I believe about life after life without knowing what you really do believe about God. And so I want to ask you to think with me this weekend, what do you really believe about God? Because what you believe about God will determine so many things in your life, including your perspective of life after this life. And tonight I'm going to talk about two things that I am confident of related to God. Two things that I believe and are very convinced of the fact, convicted of the reality that the Bible teaches, teaches us about God. And two things that I believe that you need to believe about God to be assured of your eternal destiny as we move through this series together. Here's the first thing I want to talk about tonight. I want to encourage you to understand that Scripture is very clear in teaching us that there is a God and He is the one and only God. There is a God and He's the one and only God. Take a look at some scripture verses with me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Would you agree that's the very first verse in the Bible, is it not? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say? It's on the screen. Read it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible doesn't start with trying to prove God. It starts with the declaration, there is a God. In the beginning, God, and then God acted, God did. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 53, the first part of verse number one says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So the Bible lays out the case that it's actually foolish 
to have this concept, this idea, this belief that there is no God. I heard it said this way, it takes much more faith to be an atheist than it, is, than it takes to be a Bible believer. Because an atheist has a certain amount of faith. They don't believe in certain aspects of who God is. And the believer says, yes, I do believe. And so the Bible says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Yes, remember your creator, capital C. Now while you're young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken, talking about death, don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the the well. Again, talking about the end of life, for then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Remember your creator, it says. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 17, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the Circle that word on your notes if you're taking notes or certainly underscore it in your mind. He is the only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Throughout history, when people talk about death and think about death and dying, they're always considering something related to death and dying, and that's God. Because you can't talk about death and dying without talking about God. Because the reality of death forces you to ask yourself the question, is there a God? Does God exist? And the reason you're asking this question related to death is because if you are going to die, there's a potential afterlife. And, and, if you, and when you die, you are asking yourself the question, what's going to happen when I meet my maker? What will my eternal fate be? And so you can't answer a question about believing regarding death without tying it in to belief regarding God because internally you have a sense of accountability to him. And so I want to give you some evidence tonight. I'm sure that I'm preaching to the choir and all of us are here because we probably more than likely already have a belief in God as believers in Jesus Christ. But I want to lay out for you some reasons. It's reasonable to believe that God exists. It's not a stretch of the imagination to somehow believe that God exists. Actually, it's more of a stretch of the imagination to believe that God doesn't exist. So I want to give you six reasons as a Christian believer that you can believe and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God exists. First of all, it's through the design and the complexity of our universe. If you study this world in which we live, the universe that we live in, life itself, you see certain things like DNA. It's absolutely incredible to think about the DNA of a human being how there's a fingerprint of God's creative work in that regard. When you think about the earth itself and its distance from the sun and the moon, and had we been a little closer to the sun or the moon, there would be gravity issues and heat issues. And if we'd been further away from the sun and the moon, there would be issues of gravity as well and issues of of coldness upon our planet. When you think about the atmosphere that we live in, has just the right mix that keeps human life sustained. All of these things point beyond a shadow of a doubt to a designer. You can't have something that's designed without having a designer. It's impossible. The second reason for the existence of God is what I call or what has been called the principle of cause and effect. Whatever exists, exists because of something. 
You can't have something without there being a reason for it. The universe and life exist, and so therefore there has to be a cause for its existence. There can't be something without a cause. There's an illustration that I read that I thought was very effective in this regard. And you may, you may have this at your, at your house or where you live, or you perhaps have seen it before. In my house, we have, the, we have a population of deer that will often come through our yard. And I can go out when I'm taking my dog out and walking in the yard. I can see the deer prints. I see the footprints of those deer. I don't see the deer, but I see their footprints. What that tells me is that there's a, there's a cause for those footprints. Some deer have been trampling on my ground and eating my wife's flowers. Okay. I don't have to see the deer to know the deer have been there. All I need to see are the, are the footprints of the deer. And I will tell you, dear ones, there are fingerprints of God all over our world. The third reason that we know that God exists is the moral awareness of humanity. Sociologists have studied well different societies, nations, and tribes throughout history. And one of the things that's quite unique about almost all people groups, in some way they form a moral code. They may not know anything about our God or the Bible or anything about Jesus, but they they have some moral code. They know something about, well, we believe that this is right and this is wrong. And it's quite interesting when you study sociology and realize that in many of these people groups, they have a lot of similarities regarding what they believe to be right and, and wrong. Why? Because innately there's some moral code that's been stamped into the center of our being by our creator. And so there's that pointing to the fact that there's something that gives us an awareness that some things are right and some things are wrong. Where did that come from? And why is it so universal? It's, it, it comes from a fact, the fact that God has stamped that into the hearts of humanity. The fourth reason for us to have confidence in the reality of God is the spiritual pursuit of people. All civilizations, practically all civilizations, have some form of worship, have some form of a recognition, a recognition of a, a god or gods. And of course, along with the moral code, there's a worship of a god or gods that are, the, are behind that moral code. And so when you look at cultures throughout history, you see worship. Worship is a part of every culture. It comes in different forms. Why is that there? Because innately again. In humanity, God has placed a need, a desire for worshiping something beyond ourselves. Let me give you the fifth reason in believing in the reality of God, the confidence of his existence. It's the beauty in the world in which we live. There's a mark of artistic beauty in our world, is there not? Think about the beauty that you see in our world. And what you see in the beauty of the world is you see the fact that this artistic aspect of the world, you can't have art without an artist. And what we have in our world is not just function. We also have form as well. We don't just have a world that... Fun- Look at these birds. Now, would you agree with me? It takes someone very artistic to create, some- create something like that. Amen. You just go to the zoo and look at all the different animals and the different colors and the different hues and think about how God puts them all together. That's, I mean, we as artists, those who are artists and photographers and, and, and painters and, and people who, who draw and do varieties of artwork, they, they take their cues from creation. Why? Because there's no greater artist than God. Okay. 
He's the God of beauty. He created a beautiful world for us to experience together. But here's the sixth reason why we can believe in the existence of God. It's the reality, or I should say the reliability of the Bible. This book called the Bible is something that you and I need to cherish and honor because it's, it's, it is a supernatural book. And I want you to have high confidence in God's Word. And the way that you have high confidence in God's Word is understand how unique and how special this book called the Bible is. When you study the history of the Bible, you'll realize that it's a supernatural book because we have so many reliable manuscripts going back in history that are, are, are far beyond any of the other ancient documents. They don't even compare in terms of the number of ancient manuscripts. We have things like the Dead Sea Scrolls. For many, many years, we had certain manuscripts that only went back to a certain period of time in ancient history. And then in 1947, in Israel, near Qumran, near the Dead Sea, they discovered uh, uh, ancient Dead Sea Scrolls. And the manuscripts were a thousand years earlier than any manuscripts they'd ever had before and they compare the ancient thousand-year-old manuscripts with the newer manuscripts and there were almost slight, very slight differences in the manuscripts. The reliability of the Bible is beyond anything of any other manuscript or any other document in history. It was written by over 40 different authors inspired by the Holy Spirit over 1,600 years and yet there's a consistent theme from Genesis to Revelation. Think about that. We could take 40 of you right now and tell you to write the same story. It would be all different. But God used 40 different people moved by the Holy Spirit over 1,600 years. And then you find that now there's the consistent theme going all the way from Genesis to Revelation of the manifestation of Jesus Christ and the grace of God and the promise of salvation. It's all there, all coming in different centuries and different times. That is a miracle, folks. That is a miracle. We know the reliability of the Bible because it's proven to be accurate historically and archaeologically. For many, many years, there was no, no one could find reference in, the, in, in archaeology to, to, the, to the reign of King David. He's all through the Bible, right? When you study the Bible, you know about King David. But they could not, they could not find any historical evidence that King David even existed. And then in 1993, there were in the upper part of Israel, a place called Dan, and they were doing some excavation, and they found a stone that had been written in Aramaic from an Aramaic king who talked about a war that he had against the house of Israel and the house of David, and suddenly now archaeology points to the fact, yes, the Bible is true. For many, many years, there was no external evidence of a man by the name of Pontius Pilate. Anyone remember that guy? No one could prove that he really did exist. In fact, for some, for some years, they thought maybe he's just a figment of people's imagination. But in 1961, they were doing some excavation at a place called Caesarea by the Sea, near up above Tel Aviv. And they found a stone that's called the Pilate Stone, where Pilate had dedicated one of the amphitheaters there. Again, time and time again. Those are just two examples of archaeological findings that have reinforced the reality and the trust we can have in the Bible. Why do I believe the Bible is true and that God is the God of the Bible? Is because Jesus used his Bible. 
He didn't have a Bible like you and I have, but he quoted the Old Testament scriptures time and time again. He made reference to the Old Testament and to teachings of the prophets, as did the apostles. And I will tell you another reason that we can have confidence in God and confidence in God's word is because lives are daily, miraculously changed by the words in this book. Amen? And there's some of you that are sitting here today. In fact, all of us at some level in our lives can say, my life has been shaped and my life has been changed and my thinking has been transformed just by scripture verses that I have read at times that sparked something inside of me and transformed the way that I thought and the way that I lived. I'm here to tell you that if you're going to have confidence in the life after this life, you've got to believe in the God of the Bible. You've got to believe that he is real. But there's a second thing that you need to know about God. If you're going to be prepared for death, you have to understand who God is. And I'm going to give you some words on the screen here. Who is this God of the Bible? And here's some words. Why don't you read it together with me? God is loving, good, holy, true, and just. If I'm going to heaven where God is, I want to know what he's like. How about you? I need to know what this God is of the Bible, what is he really like? And so we, we've now embraced God's existence. We've got to ask ourselves the question, what is his nature? What is his character? Because the nature of God will determine how you think about death. If you believe in God, but believe that God is a mean, angry, frustrated, judgmental God, does anyone want to go hang out for eternity with him? No. You've got to understand something about who he is. And so let's take a look at who the, what the Bible says about the reality of who God is so that we know who we're going to give an account to one day. First of all, the Bible teaches us that God is a loving God because God is love. Listen closely. Because God is love and heaven is where God is, heaven is permeated with an atmosphere of love. I've been doing some reading uh, in this preparation for the series on people who've had experiences with near-death, near-death experiences. It's quite interesting to do some studying, and most of what I've been trying to read have been of people who are really uh, have been maybe skeptical initially or, or of Christian believers who maybe had nothing to gain from, the relation, from, from relating their story. And there are some amazing stories of, of people who've, who've had encounters in moments of death when they were on their deathbed, revived later miraculously by med- medical procedures, but they talk about the atmosphere of love that they enter into when they pass from this life to the next life. See, God created us for a relationship with him, and he he made the way possible for us to have a personal, eternal relationship with him. Why? Because God loves us. God cares deeply about you. You're not repulsive to God. You're loved by God. John 3, 16, we know it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why? That whoever believes in him shall not, what? Perish, but have eternal life. God was motivated by love. He says, I see you in your condition. I don't want you to perish. I want you to experience eternal life with me. Romans 5, 8 and 9 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since by his blood, he did all this for us as sinners, how much more will, will he do for us now that, we, that we, he has declared us not guilty? Now he will save us from all God's wrath to 
come. That's love. And so what is, what is God like? God is, is a God of love. Heaven has an atmosphere of love. And we're going to break this down more as we get through this series together. Second thing, not only is God love, but God is good. Because God is totally good, there's absolutely zero bad, nothing bad in it. Because God is totally good, we have to believe that when we enter into heaven, heaven is an atmosphere of total goodness, which none of us have ever experienced in this life. You've never been in any environment as a human being that is permeated with total love and permeated with total goodness. Not, no, no one has experienced that on earth. And so because God is love, the atmosphere of heaven is love. Because God is good, totally good, the atmosphere of heaven is a good, a healthy, a wholesome, a, re- a restorative atmosphere. John, James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from where? Above, coming down, speaking of heavenly impartation, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Matthew seven eleven. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He gives good because he is good. God is loving and God is good. Does he exist? There's only one God. There's only one God. They're not multiple gods. They're not multiple ways to God. We'll talk about this later in the series. There's one God, and who is he? What is he like? He is loving, and he is good. Now, we can say those words, but what I hope will happen in this series is I hope there will, there will be a permeation inside of you to where anytime you think of God, the only way you'll be able to think of him as loving is as loving and good. Here's our third category. Not only is he loving and good, but what's the third one? He is holy. He's a holy God. Now, that word holy can really trip us up if we're not careful because we tend to think of holy as like perfection, and indeed it is. God is perfect. There's no sin in him. And so because we're not so holy, we think that God is, is sort of angry at us because he's perfect and we're not because we've had experiences with people who seem to do things better than we do, and they seem to be frustrated when we're not everything we ought to be. And so we have this tendency to think of God in those terms. But when we think of the holiness of God, I want you to think of it in a, in a broader sense, more, more, more of a sense of purity. There's nothing impure in him. Just like if you're to purify water, you're taking all the impurities out of it. And because God is holy, what is the atmosphere of heaven? It's completely pure. It is completely holy. There are no mixed motives there. There's nothing of, if you will, of a negative aspect tainting the atmosphere of heaven. But we are in an environment of holiness which produces wholeness because those two words go together. Psalm 96 Verse 9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. First Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Here's a beautiful thought that we'll get to later in the series. The biggest thing that we, one of the biggest things that we struggle with here on earth, and if this is true for you, you can say amen after I say it. The biggest thing that we struggle here on earth is sin. Correct? Amen? 
the beautiful thing that when we get to heaven, that will no longer be an issue for us. Because there is no sin there. There's no temptation in heaven. We have temptation down here on earth, but as soon as we enter into heaven, all of that has been removed. We immediately step in to an atmosphere of absolute love. Are you with me tonight? We step into an atmosphere that's totally good. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing other than goodness there. We step immediately, and when we take our last breath here as believers in Jesus, we step into an atmosphere that is absolutely pure. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.